Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the lineup, Officer Magazine's roundup of this week's police and law enforcement news. I'm your host, Joe Vince, Assistant Editor for Officer Magazine, and with me today is... Um, who am I going to be today? I think I'll be... Um, I'm not going to be retired Lieutenant Frank Borelli. Today I'm going to be longtime married, happily, supposedly on leave, not really guy, Frank Borelli being an idiot. That's who I'm going to be today. Uh, there you go. Uh, well, we uh, this has been an incredibly busy week, I'm sure, as all of you know, and we're just going to get right into it and and start with the show. Um, going to our first story out of Ohio, um, where uh, Columbus Police Department or Division of Police um, released body camera video of just an incredible situation where an officer was struck by a fleeing suspect, was on the, the hood of the car, and was able to fire um, at least one shot um, through the windshield, um, hitting the driver. The driver kept going and was was later arrested. Um, she was wounded, but um, this video, again, we've talked about this before, shows exactly how uh, vehicles get turned into weapons immediately and how deadly they can be. Yeah, so I'm glad you said that. People forget any vehicle can be used as a weapon, and it is definitely deadly force when you've got a 4,000-pound-plus vehicle hitting you. But, Joe, the amazing thing to me about this, when you watch, and it's it's like, if you, I think you said he fired at least one time, he fired a bunch of rounds through this windshield. He did it right, weapon perpendicular to the windshield. He fired a lot of rounds. At first, I thought he was shooting into the hood out of panic, and I realized, nope, he's shooting straight through the windshield right yeah. in front of her, and... I don't know how she wasn't dead. I don't know how she didn't get hit a lot. Um, and, and it could have been a death reflex. We Earlier we talked about, and then she drove away. Well, she puts her foot down on the gas. That could be just body relaxation. But um, I am amazed. The number of rounds he put through that windshield at that distance, because the gun's right up against the windshield, the standoff is literally uh, the amount. He has a, a weapon-mounted light on his, his sidearm, and he pushes the light against the windshield to pull the trigger. So the standoff is the difference in the length of the light and length of the barrel. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just flabbergasted. This woman wasn't just shot to pieces in the driver's seat. Um, this is the perfect example. There's a lot of agencies out here that have uh, general orders against shooting at or from a moving vehicle. And those general orders make great sense, but this officer um, was shooting into a moving vehicle, at least for part of this video. Um, and I'm sure the general orders don't apply to him since he was on the hood after she tried to run him over. But what a crazy scene. Oh, yeah. Just to, to have the wherewithal to be able to um, take a hit from from an incoming vehicle and still be able to fire multiple times. Um, and then he gets thrown off. Um, in, in this case, both... Um, the officer and the suspect um, uh, were taken to the hospital. Um, I, I believe both were in stable condition. Um, and, yeah, it's amazing that no one no one was killed in this situation um, because uh, in both the, the the shots from the officer and, and just being hit by that car and then have, being 
you know, knocked off the roof as she drives away. It's not like he, he got bumped and then he's on the hood. No, he it's he gets hit full force and then thrown off. Um, yeah, just uh, just amazing stuff. At the end of the uh, video, he's standing in the road directing traffic. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, like nothing happened. Like, oh, okay. you know, we're going to we're, we're going to come to a uh, another story later in here where there's a, a similar situation of 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 an injured officer who whose first response afterward is, Hey, I, I got to get back to work. Um, yeah. Moving on, on to our next story. This is out of uh, Chicago um, where um, bystander video captured uh, another scary um, scene with a car where um, two officers were, or actually more than two officers, but officers were trying to apprehend suspects in um uh, a break in a car a vehicle break in that was interrupted and they're uh they're making the arrest they're trying to make the arrest on um DeSable Lakeshore Drive in Chicago which is just is is a jam-packed uh stretch of road that has very little shoulder and cars whizzing by at great speeds um and in this case, uh, they had uh, started taking into custody the driver of the car. The passenger of the vehicle jumps in the driver's seat, guns it, and uh, hits not only two officers, but the the suspect's accomplice and drives <laughs> off. Um, at the time, um, that uh, individual still hadn't been apprehended. Um, but uh, again, you seeing... Um, a vehicle used as a weapon and in this case you had a suspect who didn't yeah didn't care about his partner it was like i'm i'm getting out and um uh, and again you they're making an arrest on a very very touch uh, uh tough roadway to do that just not a lot of space um uh, you know thankfully um you know, again, no one was was killed or or seriously injured um, in this situation. You know, isn't that a fine? How do you do? We talk about the web, the car being used as a weapon, and and you, if you look in the video, you can see the one officer who's dragged a little and then falls to the ground. Um, you know, but when when the suspect, the passenger guy, the passenger gets in the driver's side, and like you said, not only willing to hit the officers, but willing to hit the friend that he was in the car with, right? Like. <laughs> That's a fine. How do you do it? I expect if I know you well enough to commit a crime with you, you're not going to just try to kill me when we're done um, or when we get caught. It, it is. Uh, and you're more familiar with the area than I am. Um, it, it looks like it's a pretty crowded highway without a lot of clearance on either side. Really no place to go. Not a lot of room to work for officers. No safe spaces. You can get off the road or out of traffic. Uh, what, what a scary situation. But, you know. At least the guy wasn't prejudiced. He was going to run over good guys and bad guys. He didn't care. Yeah, yeah, no, and and that that is this road. You've got the lake on one side, and for most of it, um, you know, buildings. I mean, just it is just squeezed in there, um, and uh, yeah, it's just again, uh, thankfully, no one was seriously injured, um, but uh, again, you see just just how how dangerous that can be, um. Going on to our next story, uh, we go back to Ohio, and again, um, more um, uh, body camera footage that was released. Um, this was from a hostage situation um, in Ontario, where Ontario police were called uh, to a domestic disturbance, and 
um, they encountered an armed man who uh, was holding a woman uh, hostage at gunpoint. Uh, as one of the officers was trying to rescue the woman, um, the suspect uh, opened fire and uh, shot the officer and also um, wounded the, the woman, uh, the female hostage. Um, the body camera video uh, shows not only the moments leading up to this, but it shows the officer being struck um, from his perspective. Uh, after the officer was shot, um, he actually did get up and immediately was asking, you know, was trying to still um, help the people there. Um, uh, thankfully, um, he survived and, and uh, so did uh, the woman who was wounded. Um, the uh, uh, police were able to, um, I, I believe there were children who actually fled the scene um, as uh, as police were, were getting there and um, officers were able to put a tourniquet on, um, on the wounded officer's leg. And uh, there's a quote from uh, the chief. He said, um, after the officer got a tourniquet on his left leg, he asked the officers to lift him up to where he could get his rifle in the car and pointed at the front door so he could protect everyone that was there. Um, uh, yeah, and then yeah, he calls he, the officer it, a hero. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know of a better word for it. Um, I, I, Chad, I love and I hate these videos, Joe, because yeah, it shows the chaos uh, of of what's going on with this hostage situation, right? Um, it, it, but I like I like that this officer doesn't panic. He doesn't assume. And and you know when you go through the police academy, you hear stories about different shootings and uh, from good perspectives, bad perspectives, all this. This officer doesn't assume that just because he shot, he's dying. Okay, yeah. I'm, I've I've taken a round, put a tourniquet on it. Blood loss is stopped. I'm good for the moment. Let me stay in the fight until this is resolved. That's the right outlook to have. Uh, and then once the outlook's resolved, you get the necessary medical attention. You live the rest of your life. You recover. You go back to work. But, you know, kudos, kudos to this officer, Bailey, who uh, who takes a round. And, and then, he, he you know, we got, we got the medical side of it covered. I'm not dying. Cool. Let me stay in the fight. Excellent, excellent, excellent outlook. And I'm glad the chief recognizes it for what it is. Yeah. And, and I'm going to ask you, because you've been in, in these situations, um, having that that outlook, as you say, of being focused, um, I, I guess, is, is it is it helpful for your, yourself because you're not focusing on the fact that you've been shot? Um, you know, I, and I, I don't mean it just in the moment, but just for your own mental well-being. I would think so. Mind you, I've never been shot and then had to stay in a fight. Gotcha. Uh, with tourniquet and all that other stuff. Um, for the people that are listening, they'll, they'll hear this and go, what? For the two times I've been shot, uh, my vest stopped one round. The other one round, the other time I was shot, literally ricocheted off the back of my head. Um, and you can't put a tourniquet on my neck as much as some <laughs> people would like to. Um, you know, but this officer, it, the thing is, when, when the active shooter response protocols developed right in the year 2000 after Columbine, one of the things that we had to recognize was that when an officer goes into a school, there's a shooting going on. If an officer gets hit, we can't stop to help them. Our priority still has to be go find the bad guy, neutralize the threat. So you get an officer gets hit in the leg. Dude, I hope you got a tourniquet. You're on your own. Put a tourniquet on that and then get back in the fight if you can. We can't stop until the threat's neutralized. Uh, in my home county, a year ago, a little more than that, we had a guy who, who was shot uh, during a pursuit in a wooded area 
uh, and, and he got hit in the leg, but it, it opened his femoral artery. Um, and he came very close to bleeding to death. The tourniquet saved his life. Um, and it is, I guess there's something to be said for if you, if you're in a situation where you don't have time to stop and consider how close you came to being killed or how close you came to dying, if there's something going on that requires you to stay professionally focused, and then you can worry about it after the fact. Mm-hmm. I think that helps. I think the immediacy is gone, right? You're not laying there bleeding, going, oh my God, I might die, I might die, I might die. You're going, all right, got this tourniquet on, let me get back in the fight. And then 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, when they're putting you in an ambulance and you know you're not going to die, um, then I think I think it's, I think in long term, I think there is a, a mental and emotional benefit to that. I have to, I'm asking all these questions. I'll have to call a buddy of mine, a police psychologist, up in Philly and, and say, Hey doc, what do you think of this? And, and see what he thinks. Yeah. Uh, and, and just to uh, tell everyone too, the situation ended um, the suspect actually after the shooting um, barricaded himself in the home um, and with a 16 year old hostage, but then um, after a standoff uh, surrendered, releasing the hostage unharmed. Um, so uh, not the, not the best case scenario, but better, in, in a lot of cases um, right. where, where you see these work. things happen. Yeah. Uh, moving on to our, our next story, and this is the one I'm sure everyone is uh, familiar with um, this week uh, where uh, gunfire uh, broke out at uh, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, Super Bowl celebration just after the rally had ended. Um, apparently a dispute escalated to um, shooting and uh, one person was killed. uh, I believe right now, 23 people they're saying uh, were wounded. Um, This was a case of, and and there's video too, that you um, see uh, uh, civilians apparently um, tackling and taking to the ground one of the um, suspected shooters, or at least one of the sus- suspects in the shooting. Um, and if you've seen the videos from the the event, you see the the chaos of all of this, and and you can just imagine what it's like having to try to not only control the situation and make sure everyone's safe, but then also find the individuals um, who are are responsible for this. Um, and I believe there were um, over eight hundred um, law enforcement officers there, you know, handling the crowds. Um, but uh you know it, it's just um it's tragic and and it's just also just you can't imagine what that's got to be like for the officers and, and not only on the ground but those commanders and dispatchers having to control the situation and and make sure they can get as many people as they can to safety you know the communications coordination is is a huge huge challenge when you start looking at the number of disparate agencies that can be involved, mm-hmm. right? Um, so kudos to the ones that, that got to do that work behind the, the microphone, the radio. We, we don't thank them enough and we probably really should. They're our lifeline. Now that said, the, the, there's, there's two things I really am going to be a jerk about here. One, okay. uh, and I'm not a big fan of, of major sports, right? I didn't even watch the Super Bowl. My family did. I get people who do. I understand the entertainment value of it. I couldn't care less. I'm not a football fan. Um, you know, and, and the halftime shows have long ago 
gone by the wayside of interest for me. Um, but this is not, I hate to say this, this isn't anything new. Major sports uh, competitions, the championships, games, the winners and the losers and the parades and the celebrations, long ago, they became synonymous with riots and violent crimes. And you, you can't celebrate a big game now without figuring out who's going to destroy what, how much property damage is going to get done. And it, it seems really sad to me that a city can't celebrate a championship win uh, without this kind of event happening. But again, it goes back a long time. In, in the late 80s, uh, when I was working the street, you know, Maryland University uh, basketball championships would come around and there'd be riots and, and, and crowds out of control and doing, yeah. doing damage on Route 1. And, and why? Because they could get away with it. Because there were just so many people that they the police couldn't corral them all, couldn't catch them all. So they knew they were going to get away with it. And they do. And this speaks to me of just the evil in some people's hearts. They just want to do the harm. They want to do the damage. They know they're probably going to get away with it. And for whatever reason, they find it entertaining. And I, I, I think that's just a sad state of affairs. Um, so that's my first I'm being a jerk moment. My second being a jerk moment is when the White House and Congress have to respond with statements about this stuff. I'll tell you what. The White House and Congress and the Senate need to need to speak out long before this stuff happens and say, you know what? Violent crime is unacceptable. And we're going to support arresting and prosecuting to the fullest extent of the law. Anybody and everybody who commits even the most minor crime, we have to become a nation of law and order again. But they don't. They, they put out their platitudes and they, they sympathize and then they call for new laws that we already have and we don't need more of. Um you know, and they pander to votes and they don't really do any good for the law enforcement that had to respond. They don't do any good for the victims that, that were there. They, they just, it's just all personal platform for them. And it, they're, they're probably doing more harm than good. So that's my second being a jerk moment. I feel bad for the people uh, on the scene. I, I, I think the officers that responded ought to all be given great, great congratulations and commendations. Um, you know, but, but behind the scenes, the dispatchers really have to coordinate all of that information and keep track of the chaos. And I imagine it's kind of like trying to corral cats in a pool. Um, yeah. And they do a great job of it. All right. I'll quit. I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. And, and I, well, I got to say, too, I've got to think that this is um, this is not uh, Kansas City's first rodeo with this. Um, I know. You were talking back uh, in the 80s, back in the early 90s uh, here in Chicago. I remember the first Bull, uh, Chicago Bulls championship that, that became that that sort of invitation to riot afterward. Um, the pre when they repeated um, actually even before they did, they started doing a lot of PSAs with the, the team and so on, um, telling people not to do it, which. I believe it was celebrate responsibly, um, which you think would just be common sense. But um, yeah. I mean, I I got, no offense. I don't want to see Mahomes bragging about how he's going yeah. to Disney World again. Get him on TV and say he's ashamed of the people in Kansas City that do this stuff. And I got to think, too, that because they, they – they have been they've had to, to deal with these types of these these large events like this that um you know in, in some degree hopefully that that minimized what already was a tragic situation um because they they'd had the experience of handling it we would hope 
let's see. Moving on to our next story. This is out of New Mexico. And, you know, we've talked a lot about um, departments struggling to um, uh, keep officers, to hire officers. This is actually a good story when it comes to staffing. The Albuquerque uh, Police Department um, saw an over 30 percent uh, drop in retirement and resignations last year. Um, and um, let's see, they now have roughly 900 officers, um, which has been which is an increase from the 890 they had um, in May of last year. Um, so, uh, it, you know, it, this is um, we've talked about uh, departments really struggling with retaining officers, with attracting new officers. Here is uh, a, um, a department that is, is actually um, finding ways to, um, you know, keep those those members uh, that they have. Um, and, and that's great to great to see. So, you know, for years, agencies were trying to get officers to retire early because it was cheaper to hire a new guy than it was to retain the old guy. Yeah. Right. The 20 year sergeant, lieutenant, captain, whatever you're paying him, whatever you're paying him. He goes out on retirement and you can hire a new guy and cut your cost by 40 percent for that officer. Um, and, and a lot of agencies did a lot for a long time to get people to retire early. And then we have the recruiting and retention crisis that's going on. And they're having to find creative ways to keep officers around. Uh, if you read the article, it says Police Chief Medina implemented a retention package to encourage senior officers to stay longer than 20 years. So you've got a 20-year retirement. How do I keep you to 25? Um, we, we can't, if agencies want to keep their officers around, and a lot of times this is controlled by contracts with FOP or bargaining units or whatever. I'm not, I'm not being critical in general of how mm -hmm. things are done. But if you want to keep your officers around, you have to make it more attractive for them to stay than for them to leave. Part of that yeah. is pay and benefits. Part of that is leadership and protecting your troops. A lot of it, a huge amount of it is morale and uh, officer perception. So your leadership's got to be strong. They've got to be, uh, I mean, you have to protect your officers while you make sure they're doing everything the right way. Right. Um, you can't appear to have that constant hunting mentality, looking for people to do stuff wrong. You got to be looking for people to do stuff right. But it's good to see an agency that is slowing down their rate of attrition uh, by doing good things and treating the officers right. I mean, kudos to Albuquerque, and hopefully some other agencies will learn from the process. And, you know, not only keeping older officers um, at, at the department is good just to have butts in seats, so to speak, but the institutional knowledge um, that you're able to retain, um, being a, an older gentleman, um, uh, I, I guess I, I um, uh, you know, look at, at that as I, I hold that up to as, as something that I, I see a lot of places in all sorts of um, workplaces um, losing because, you know, like you say, they're, they they want to move out older um, employees, older officers, because it's too much. Um, and you lose that knowledge that they have. Um, and that, that can be so vital, um, and especially in law enforcement to understanding a community, understanding, um, law enforcement, uh, understanding the department itself. Um, so I, I, 
I'm gonna. I hope that that is an added bonus for the department as well as just having making sure that they're fully staffed. Two things here, Joe. Yeah. One, are you calling me older or are you older? <laughs> I was calling myself older. That implies I'm older because I'm older than you. But <laughs> joking aside, too, um, somebody challenged me once. We were having a conversation about departmental philosophy, and somebody challenged me once to define wisdom because a lot of uh -huh. us have knowledge and a lot of us have experience. A lot of us have time in and we're still idiots. Um, <laughs> somebody, somebody challenged me to define wisdom. And the best thing I ever heard a chief say, wisdom is the intersection of knowledge that everybody got in the academy and in their training and experience that they got not only on the street, but in the department. So he didn't want departmental wisdom to leave he wanted to keep that so the older guys weren't supposed to go anywhere until they had passed on all of the knowledge and experience oh, that they could to the to the younger great. guys that was a really cool thing to hear yeah that, that you know and i i i hope a, a lot of departments um embrace that philosophy uh, moving on to our, our next story uh this is out of colorado um another uh interesting i guess staffing um story here uh the golden police department is going is extending a pilot program that they have where um they were use, uh, implementing a four-day work week um for officers um they found that uh this new work week not only improved productivity but also boosted morale um i, I did find something interesting um, that uh, the chief had mentioned about implementing it, where he said a lot of baby boomers have spent their entire career 40 hours a week, Monday through Friday, and for some of them, it's uncomfortable. The Gen X folks, like like myself, some of us have struggled with it in the beginning and are warming up to it, but you go to Gen Z and Gen Y, they love it because they have been raised to look at work differently. I, I, I found that fascinating because it really shows also um, – I, I guess some of the challenges law enforcement is facing uh, with a, a with new generations of potential officers and sort of what those individuals, I, I guess, their perspective and mindset is and, and how different it is from from past generations. You know, I was kind of surprised when I read the article because it wasn't what I expected. I expected years ago uh, in my area, we went to four day work week, but it was four 10 hour days. So you were still working right. 40 hours. Um, and that was, uh, preferred over the five, eight hour days. Cause it gave you an extra day off every week and everybody enjoyed it. But to read this article and what they're doing is working for eight hour days. So the officers are actually only working 32, but they're still being paid for 40. Yeah. Now, I don't know how that works out for the staffing, but they seem to have solved that problem if they're doing it. And I mean, oh, hell yeah, this would improve my outlook. You want to, you want me to work Monday through Thursday. You're going to pay me for Friday. I got a three day weekend every week and I'm not working 10 hour days. I'm working eight hour days. Hell yeah. Sign me up. This is a way to go. If maybe some other off agencies will try it out, but I like the fact that they saw the pro productivity go up and that's got to be a side effect of the fact that these officers are seeing less burnout. They're getting more downtime and more recovery time. And that's never a bad thing. Yeah, and I believe one officer was just saying is that um, she was um, just more but when at work is basically you're, she didn't sort of she was more streamlining what she did. She was more efficient in how she did because she knew she only had eight hours to do it. 
you yeah. know, and it was instead of like, oh, I got some time, I'm going to, you know, take a break here or whatever. No, it was I'm going to get it done. And that's great. Now, obviously, I'm sure, you know, this can't work in all departments, but it's it, it, it's heartening to see a department taking a different um, approach and seeing how it goes. And, and I'm glad that they're they're seeing success with it. Absolutely. Other agencies need to pay attention. Yeah. Uh, moving on to our last story, um, and after some of the um, tragic uh, stories we've been talking about, this is this is a good one to to end with. This is about a teen in Florida who has been dedicating himself to honoring the memories of fallen police officers and other first responders um, by doing these mile runs in, in cooperation with a nonprofit called Running for Heroes. Um, it, it it's just a uh, it's just heartening to see um, he had recently, let's see, um, done uh, some runs for um, some fallen officers um, in Georgia um, who uh, had recently uh, died or been killed. Um, and it's just um, it, it, here is a 14 year old who um, doesn't have a specific connection to these individuals but still understands um, and wants to honor the service that they have they have done um, for their communities, and uh, you know that that it ended with them giving up the, their lives. Um, and it's just great to see. Uh, I, I'm I'm glad that um, uh, you know he's getting attention, and um, it, it's nice that he's also doing this in coordination with uh, a, a nonprofit. I like the fact that the nonprofit screens the, the the kids, the teenagers that are doing it right. Um, so this is this young man, Collinson, had to finish eight miles of quote unquote unofficial tryout runs before <laughs> the committee for this nonprofit said yes, he's ready. Um, the nonprofit apparently runs into times where parents are trying to send their kids up just to make them famous or get them you know video time. Um, they get kids that think it's just fun to do, but they don't really appreciate or understand what's going on in the background and, you know, that an officer died or whatever. Um, I like that the nonprofit screens them. I like that we have the number of teens stepping up um, and, and, and doing this and recognizing that the, all, the sacrifices that are being made. It, it gives me hope. You know, we look around at so many people in younger generations. I've got children. i got grandchildren. Um in another 10 years, I could have great grandchildren to, to see them appreciating sincerely the sacrifices made because it's overlooked. It's, it's joked about it's, it's taken as a, a sideline, whatever. Um, I, I appreciate kids like this that are actually going out and understand it and genuinely appreciate it or expressing the, their support for it. That gives me hope for those next generations. So, so I, I really like that he's doing this and kudos to him. Yeah, absolutely. Kudos to Andrew Collinson. Um, well, again, that's it for this episode. Thanks again for uh, listening. Um, as always, you know, check out some of our other podcasts and, you know, check out the the stories that we've talked about uh, in this episode. Absolutely. And uh, if you're working a four day week with eight hours a day, enjoy that. Enjoy the long weekend. Um, if I'm not wrong, Monday is President's Day as we're recording this. Um, oh, yes. uh, I hope everybody, if they have a long weekend, gets to enjoy it. If you're working this weekend, stay safe. 
Stay safe. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Lineup. Please remember, the opinions voiced are not those of Officer Media Group or Endeavor Business Media, but only those speaking those opinions themselves. Thank you and stay safe.